Would you rather be popular or unpopular? Would you rather be popular or unpopular? What does the word popular even mean? It means someone who is respected, someone who is honored, someone who is being recognized. And in our world today, of course, popularity seems like a major draw. Our musical artists desire to be popular. Our, our athletes desire to be popular. Our politicians desire to be popular. We have seen, even in our political world, a, a regrowth of what is called populism, to be appealing in a popular sense to the everyday American, so to speak. And when we think about Jesus and his earthly ministry, we oftentimes focus on his unpopularity. We focus on the fact that the Pharisees hated him. The religious leaders of the day rejected him. He was a threat to them. We think of the fact that ultimately the Roman government rejected him. They were the ones, their soldiers were the ones that nailed him to a tree. We think about the fact that even his crowds, the crowds in Jerusalem were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We think of Jesus being unpopular, of being rejected, of being a man of sorrows and of a one who was scorned by those he came to save. And all that is true. But we forget sometimes about how also at times popular Jesus was when he was here on earth. We read here in Mark chapter 6 in verses 53 through 56 about how well-known Jesus was. Scripture recounts for us that after Jesus came from walking on the water in the middle of the night to his disciples and the storm was stilled, the waves were calm, and they reached the other side of Lake Galilee in the area, a fertile plain area called Gennesaret on the, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Notice what its scripture tells us. And when they came, were come out of the ship, straightway or immediately they knew him. Jesus got out of the boat and people started whispering, that's him. We know him. We've seen him. That's the healer. That's Jesus. And notice then what it said. And they ran through that whole region roundabout and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was and whithersoever, wherever he entered, not just in Gennesaret, but into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him. They pleaded with him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made whole. We're coming at this passage in a very timely season because we're going to take a break from Mark chapter 6, from our studies in Mark for a couple weeks. Kevin will be preaching for us next Sunday morning, and Brother Gleiser will be preaching for us in our services a week after that. 
And so we're at a nice pausing place as we end Mark chapter 6 here. Because the end of Mark chapter 6 is really kind of a look back, a kind of summary of Jesus' entire ministry in Galilee. Jesus ministered comparatively little in Jerusalem, the big city in Israel. He was off in the northern part, near his hometown of Nazareth, and near the place where he ended up spending so much of his time in Capernaum. He was off in the, in the outer regions. And now his ministry in Galilee, his primary ministry in that area, is coming to an end. The next time we come into Mark in chapter 7, we're going to see him getting into various disputes with the religious leaders. Then we're going to see him to traveling to other outposts, again to Decapolis and up into Tyre and Sidon, outside the borders of historic, uh, historical Israel. And then we're going to see him moving toward the cross throughout the book of Mark. We're going to see him focusing toward Jerusalem where ultimately he would be crucified for all of mankind's sins. This, if you will, is the climax of Jesus' ministry in that area of Galilee where he was from. And its climax is in him recorded for us here at great popularity. A popular Jesus dispensing the mercy of God and healing people wherever he went. And yet, what I want to focus on this morning is that while Jesus here is popular, he was not fully understood. That while Jesus was here dispensing the mercy of God liberally and overwhelmingly to heal people, yet those same people didn't fully understand who he was. They missed out Jesus was popular, but he was not the complete Jesus that he came to be in their eyesight. And this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on a message I'm going to call a popular Jesus. A popular Jesus. And ask ourselves this morning whether the Jesus that we are expressing our faith in, whether the Jesus that we are purporting to follow is merely a popular Jesus, or whether he is the true Jesus, the full Jesus, the complete Jesus who came to save us from our sins. Notice, first of all, and we're just going to break this message into very three very simple points. We're going to say, first of all, what these people saw in Jesus. We're going to see, secondly, what they received from Jesus. And third, what they missed about Jesus. What they saw in Jesus, what they received from Jesus, and ultimately, tragically, what they missed about Jesus. Jesus. First of all, what did they see in Jesus? Well, first of all, you have to ask what they saw in themselves. And what they saw in themselves was brokenness. Brokenness. What they saw in their community was brokenness. Notice what they did when they saw Jesus. Verse 55 says, they ran through that whole region and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. Again, just get this picture. Jesus steps out of the boat and they look at him and they say, oh, that's him. And so what do they do? 
they run to their sick neighbors, to their sick family members, and say, Jesus is here. Come on. That's a wonderful picture, actually, isn't it? Them saying, come on, get onto a stretcher. Me and my uncle, me and my son, we're going to carry you because Jesus is in the next town. He can help you. They were reflecting the brokenness of the world that we live in now. The fact that people get sick. The fact that people die well before their time. We were in a group this week at Camp Shatek and Ben, who, as you probably know, has, has embarked on a nursing career. He has just started a new job, and he said one of his patients died this week. And it was a young woman. I think she was either in her mid-20s or mid-30s. And I, one of the two, I can't remember, mid-20s or mid-30s. And she died of cancer. A 26-year-old woman or somewhere around that age dying of cancer. And Ben shared and, and, and Libby shared how, how tragic it was. This girl was professed to be agnostic about religion. She professed to be agnostic about whether there was a God. And she actually confessed. She actually testified before she died. She says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that my agnosticism is not true and that there is someone waiting for me that I am going to have to meet my maker. But she said, I'm afraid as well that my agnosticism is actually correct and there is nothing for me after death. What a tragedy. What a symbol of the brokenness that we experience in this world of, of human beings. But two weeks ago, I was leaving work and I was downtown. I was walking down Nicollet Avenue. And as I passed by Fifth Street, I happened to look over and see just a whole fleet of police cars right around the, 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 um, uh, the light rail station. And as we saw, there wasn't even an ambulance there yet, but as I looked, I saw a white sheet covering a body right on the light rail platform. And as I talked to the people around me, and as I read later in the news, it was a teenage boy who had gotten off the light rail train, had seen another teenage boy, I think he was 14 or 16 years old, that he had a beef with, and he pulled out a gun and he shot him dead right on the light rail station um, platform in, in, in tra I mean, it was like 545. We're talking about almost rush hour. One shot. And I reflected, what a broken world we live in. One family is grieving the loss of a teenage boy who will never come back again. And one is grieving another teenage boy who is looking at a long prison sentence, another life that is tragically misspent in today's world. We're broken. Our world is broken. When we think about this, don't we see this tension? Louis Armstrong, you remember that old famous song, I see, I see sky of blue, red roses too, I see it from me to you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And we all experience that. We experience the common graces of life, the joys of life, the joys of family and friendship and pleasure and good food and beautiful sunsets. And we see an echo of what God made it, what God intended it to be. We see a preview of what God will one day remake it to be in the future. And we say, what a wonderful world. This is my father's world. And then we look to the cancer ward and we see a 26-year-old woman dying. And we say, what a broken world. What a heartbreaking world world. 
And we have to live in that tension today. That's the world that we're in. And these people were experiencing it. They knew sickness. They knew brokenness. They knew death. And they saw Jesus as who? The deliverer. They saw him and they recognized him. They recognized him as the healer. And so they ran around to bring whoever was broken physically to bring that person in front of Jesus. And notice what it is said in verse 56. They laid the sick in the streets. Just imagine that picture. And besought him. They pleaded him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. Now you've got to understand a little bit about this. Have we come across a miracle when, yet in Mark when someone was touched by, was healed by touching the border of Jesus' garment? Yes. Do you remember the, the woman who had the flow of blood, who had, who had the, the issue of blood? She couldn't stop it for years upon years upon years. And she came up behind Jesus in the crowd and she just touched the tassel of his garment and instantly she was healed. That story must have gotten around. Because what do we see now? Everyone wants to touch his tassel. Everyone wants. You say, what was this? Well, well, Jewish men wore a long robe that would go almost all the way down to the ground. But they would also wear a kind of, of, of shorter garment over that robe. And it would be like a rectangular garment with four corners. And on the edge of that corner, hanging down from their waist or so, were tassels, were little ribbons. And you can find this in Numbers chapter 15. God had commanded the Jewish men to wear this garment with ribbons, with tassels hanging off their garment, and they were to be blue. And God says in Numbers chapter 15, you can look it up in verses 38 through 40, he says that you'll see those, you may look upon those tassels and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. It was to be a little symbol that they were different, that they were set apart to obey God and follow him. And so like any other Jewish man, Jesus wore this kind of garment. And so you can just picture these people thinking, well, it worked for that woman, so let me try it. Let me just touch the tassel. And notice what it was said. And as many as touched him were made whole. They received the healing of Jesus Christ. You see, what did they see in him? They saw in him as a healer as a one who could deliver their, them from their physical brokenness, heal their diseases, and cure their sicknesses. But notice, secondly, what they received. They received what they were looking for. They received healing. They received deliverance. Now, what's going on here? The first thing that was going on was complete universal healing. As many as touched him were made whole. They were completely restored. There's the guy with the broken leg. He hasn't been able to walk for a decade. He touches Jesus' garment and immediately he gets up and starts walking. I mean, no one had ever seen anything like this. Here was the person who was spiking a high fever and none of the medicine of that day was working and they bring him for Jesus and she immediately gets up and she's, her fever is gone. Do you know in this day there was no cure? No one cured anything. Do you know up until about 150 years ago, no one cured anything? They didn't know it. They didn't understand biology. They didn't understand modern medicine. Now, it's not to say that they couldn't perhaps give them some things that might at least not harm them, but they didn't understand true the, the relationship between sickness and cure and what actually brought it about. The, any cure was a natural 
cure. It was the body, in a sense, recovering itself. And so now here Jesus is bringing about complete and universal healing. They had never seen anything like this. And let's just pause here for a moment to reflect on what this shows about the character of Jesus. What it shows to me is not only his power, but it shows how much he cares about a broken world. People today in our world say, does does God actually care? If there's a God up in heaven, he can't possibly care about what we're going through because look at all the brokenness. And what Jesus shows us is that the God who made us recognizes and identifies with our brokenness. He cares deeply about what you are going through physically. He cares deeply about the afflictions that are are greeting our world today. He cares deeply about that family that is grieving the loss of a teenager on a light rail platform on 5th and Nicollet. You say, how do I know he cares? Because the gospel tells you that God himself put on a suit, a man suit, a body suit, and came to earth to, to live in all of our brokenness. Jesus didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to participate in our broken world. Heaven was his oyster, if you'll acknowledge, if you'll accept the phrase. Heaven was where he was universally adored, universally worshipped, and there was no brokenness in the presence of his Father, no suffering. He was the one who voluntarily came down to take on sicknesses like you and I have, to take on our brokenness, to take our burdens on him, and to touch all those who came across his path and deliver them from their own physical brokenness. Jesus cares intensely. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in the Bible is Acts chapter 10, when Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius, He was a Roman centurion. He was the one through whom the the, the first, if you will, of the Gentiles where the door of repentance and faith was thrown open. And listen to what Peter testified about who Jesus was. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And I'll just pause here to say, do you know what it looks like to be a Christ follower here on earth? It's to go about doing good. It's to go about doing all the good you can to all the people you can in all the places you can. You see, if you think about this in the context of the gospel, we have to take our minds back to the first Adam Our forefather, Adam and Eve, who in their rebellion against God left a trail of brokenness behind them. God said, in the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And not only did Adam and Eve die in their relationship to God, they brought death upon us all. The first Adam left behind him in his wake, death, suffering, brokenness and evil and then what did Jesus do when he came as the second Adam what did he leave behind him in his wake death brokenness suffering no good grace mercy that's what he went about and you know God empowers us in the same kind of ways 
Maybe not in every situation with the same kind of healing power on command that Jesus had, but nonetheless, with the power and the love of God to leave in your wake goodness and grace and the alleviation of suffering and brokenness in this world. Praise God. Praise God for all those who by their Christian character are going about in this city and in this world practically to to relieve suffering, to bring about the healing of people's brokenness, even their physical brokenness. May we ourselves be like Christ. May we not be self-focused in bringing goodness to myself. May I be focused in spreading the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, even to people's physical needs, to their physical suffering, just like Jesus did. But I want you to notice something else about this. Not only what they received, but notice what they didn't receive. Do you notice in these four verses that we read this morning, what's entirely lacking. There is not one mention of spiritual healing. There's not one mention of people who were accepting Jesus as the Messiah, as the King. There's not one mention of them falling down before him and saying, Jesus, teach us. We need to learn from you. You are the one from God who came to deliver us from all of our brokenness. No, what did they see him as? He's a healer. He can deliver me from my physical brokenness, from my neighbor's suffering, and so we're going to trust in him for that. You say, here's the tragedy of it. Every one of those people who were healed, the healing was complete, but it was only temporary. See, what do you mean by that? Do you know every one of those people who were healed got sick again? Do you know every one of those people who Jesus healed died? The healing was only temporary. We saw even Jairus' daughter, that precious 12-year-old girl who Jesus raised from the dead, he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And everyone starts laughing at him and ridiculing and mocking him. And Jesus speaks to her and raises her up from the dead. And she came to life again. Do you know even that beautiful little girl died? She died. Again, one day. Jesus was not intending to give a temporary physical deliverance. What he came to earth to do was to give an eternal spiritual deliverance. And these people who saw him only as a healer, only as a physical deliverer, only as someone who could make life a little bit easier today, a little bit easier to bear up under the burdens of life, they missed who he fully, truly was. What they didn't receive was the spiritual benefit that was the entire point of what he came to do and to testify. What a tragedy. You see, not only do we see what they saw, not only do we see what they received, but thirdly, let's look at what they missed. They missed, first of all, what his purpose was. 
We just said it, not just to bring temporary physical deliverance, but to bring eternal spiritual deliverance. Listen to what Jesus said. We read this previously in Mark chapter 1. Do you remember when Jesus had brought healing to Capernaum and Jesus the next morning went out early to pray in an isolated place and his disciples came to him and they found him and what did they say? Jesus, all men are seeking for you. They're looking for you. Jesus. Jesus, you're popular. And listen to what Jesus says. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Jesus, they're coming to you. They're looking to be healed. Let us go. Let me go preach. For therefore came I forth. For that purpose I came forth to preach and to proclaim the truth of God. You say, well, then why did he go about healing people? Yes, he went about healing people because he cares. Because the mercy of God was overflowing through Jesus to all who were broken. Yes, that is true. But why ultimately did he come to heal? He came to heal to confirm the truth of what he said. To confirm the purpose for which he came to deliver men, not just today in this life, but eternally in the life that is give them a temporary relief from the stresses of life, but to give them a permanent, secure future in the grace of God that was revealed for them. Acts 3, again, when the apostles were testifying after his resurrection who he was and what he intended to do, he says, he, they said, unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Bless you with what? Listen to what he says. In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What is God's greatest blessing to you in Jesus Christ? That you could receive physical healing temporarily? No. That your sins would be forgiven. That what is the cause of the brokenness in this world and the evil that we experience? Sin might be delivered, might be forgiven might be restored. You see, the great fiction, the great flaw, the great fraud in versions of a popular Jesus who's here to deliver you and make your life better today is that it misses what he, what he came for. It attempts to treat the symptom of the disease and not cure the disease itself. You see, a little over a decade ago, I was having strange headaches they were very odd. I would put my head down and I would bring it back up and I would feel this pounding pain in my head. And then it would go away. I would feel it with my heartbeat, just pound pulses of pain. And ultimately, I probably had it for months, nine months or more, I was realizing it. I would shout and I would feel that pressure and, and it was this pain. And so finally, I went to the doctor and I got an MRI. I'm very grateful that that doctor said, let's, let's take you in for an MRI just to be sure. He thought it might be, it maybe it was an aneurysm. And he called me back later to say, you have a brain tumor. You have a golf ball-sized brain tumor. I was 25 years old looking at what he had told me at the time. He said, we think it's cancer. It wasn't cancer. It was benign. But imagine, again, being confronted at that age. Now imagine if at that age I had gone back to the doctor and I had said, you know what, doc, can you just give me some pain medication? 
I don't want to go through brain surgery. I don't want to cut out the brain tumor. I don't want to get down to the root of it. Just give me some pain meds and I'll be fine. As long as I can deal with the headaches, I'll be fine. What would that have been for that doctor to say, sure, sure, I'll just give you some ibuprofen. You don't need to go under the knife. No, what a doctor recognizes is that you don't just treat symptoms. You try to cure the disease. You try to cure what's creating the symptom. And Jesus did not come into this world to heal the symptoms of our brokenness, to just make our life a little bit easier in the here and now, to give us a little bit of peace and joy to get us through the long nights. He came to deliver us from the disease itself, the disease that is separating a sinful humanity from its maker. You see, Jesus didn't come to heal, to, to take care of the symptoms, but not deal with the disease. Jesus didn't come to be your money manager, to show you how to multiply your resources in the here and now. He came to be your king, to show you a new investment portfolio in the kingdom of heaven altogether. He didn't come to be a little psychiatrist for us, our own little personal therapist to help us work through and feel better about ourselves in this life alone, just the way we are. He came to be the one who addressed the root of our problems, the root of our guilt in forgiving us our sin eternally and giving us his spirit to begin living the way that God wants us to live. He didn't just go to the symptom. He went down to the root of the problem. But you see, in a popular Jesus, these people didn't see it. They saw him like a vending machine. Let me go plug a quarter in. Let me touch the hem of his garment. And I'll get better. I'll get a benefit. I'll receive what I want temporarily. Friend, what a deception. What a blindness to miss the purpose of why Jesus came in the gospel. But not only did they miss his purpose, friend, they missed his person. You say, what do you mean by that? They missed his person. Jesus came not only to give us something, but to be someone for us. Now, let me think about that. Let's think about that for a minute. What I'm saying is this. Jesus didn't just come to offer you something. He came to be someone for you. Now, have you ever heard this story? Perhaps some of you have experienced it. A young woman who comes to the very sobering and sad conclusion that the boy that she thought loved her did not actually love her. He only loved what she could give him. She only loved the kind of, of offer that perhaps her body or something else could be. And she realized, he didn't love me. He loved what I could give him. And in the same way, friends, these people were willing to come to Jesus, to take from Jesus, to, to receive what he could offer them in temporary physical deliverance from disease and from death. But what they did not see is that he came to be more than that. He came to be their king, who they bowed the knee before. He came to be their friend, who they could have a relationship with God himself. 
He came to be their fullness, their satisfaction, their completion in life. He came to be the one they loved, not just the one they loved for what he offered. And in the same way today, friends, I ask you, do you love Jesus for what he offers to you? Or do you love him for who he is? And that's enough. I was listening to a sermon by a man named Paul David Tripp, a man I'm sure who has blessed some of you, and he asked one of the most poignant, penetrating questions I've heard in some time. He said, would you want to go to heaven if Jesus weren't there? Would you want to go to heaven if Jesus weren't there? Now think about that question. What does heaven offer to you? Eternal life, eternal deliverance, eternal joy, eternal peace. You see, would we want to receive those benefits if the one who gave us those benefits wasn't there? Well, heaven couldn't be heaven without Jesus. Because to receive the benefits that he offers us is to acknowledge who he is in his person and receive him, not his benefits. Do you know that's the gospel? John chapter 1 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Friend, no one is saved by coming to Jesus and saying, I believe you to give me, to offer things to me, without truly receiving him for who he is as a person. Jesus' deliverance was not intended to be a temporary relief from the sufferings of life without his greater purpose in his person for you to accept, to receive, to embrace, to love as your own. Paul makes this clear for us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as he looked back across the history of his, of his life. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have, fin- I, have, I, have, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. He was looking forward to that righteousness that would be his eternally in Christ, a crown of righteousness. And then he said this, and not to me only. That crown of righteousness is not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Is he talking about some special subset of Christians? There's the Christians who don't love his appearing and then the Christians who do love his appearing? No. What he's saying is what is, is to be characteristic of Christians is that they can't wait to see Jesus. They can't wait in, 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 to, to, to be able to see him because they love him for who he is. A similar example comes in Hebrews chapter 9 where we read it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Scripture says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him. The idea is that they are awaiting him. They are looking forward for his return. Shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? Friend, are you eagerly awaiting the person of Jesus Christ? Do you love him not just for what he offers you, but for who he is to you? If not, friends, the popular Jesus, 
the one who has a kind of goodie bag in people's eyes to help them get through life is ultimately going to be a real deception because it's not the complete Jesus. It's not the full Jesus. Two things by way of application as we close. The first is this. Have you received Jesus for who he fully is, for who he truly is? Have you received him as the one who didn't just come to give you a temporary deliverance, an easier life today, but an entire spiritual deliverance for eternity? Have you accepted and received that Jesus by faith? I pray that you wouldn't leave here this morning until you do. But then secondly, if you have received him, are you living in that kind of relationship with him of love and reception day by day of who he is. You see, it's so easy for us, even in this life, to be thinking about what Jesus offers without truly responding to him as a person. We see it in our prayer time. What do we pray for? Are our prayer times just surrounded by, Lord, help me in this day, help me in this life, help me in this physical deliverance, help me with this disease, help me with this crisis? Or are we truly coming to worship him, looking forward to that day when one day we're going to be with him forever and nothing can separate us? What do our devotions tell us about what kind of Jesus we're worshiping? But also then finally, what kind of Jesus are we presenting to the world? Are we presenting a Jesus who's like a vending machine? Do you want love? Do you want joy? Do you want peace? Do you want good things in this life? Well, come to the Jesus Club. Or are we presenting Jesus for who he truly is? The King, the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God, the one who came to be received. You know, there are timely things in our newspapers. Just this morning, just this morning in our newspaper, on the very front page on A1, the headline is, Churches Rely on Faith, Hope, and Fun to Rebuild. The article starts, Disc Golf, Board Games, Axe Throwing, BYOB, Bring Your Own Bow, Archery Shoots. These may not be your typical church events, but they pepper the calendars of many local congregations. And look at what this is. Like Anderson, many Twin Cities religious leaders are pumping up the fun fellowship to reconnect with and revive congregations that aren't returning to Sunday services at pre-pandemic numbers. Now, I don't see any of this to be critical or to dunk on some churches in here, I'm sure, that are preaching the gospel and desiring to reach the lost. In two weeks, we're having a corn roast, and I hope that that draws some people in to hear the gospel and accept the truth. I'm not criticizing this, but I am saying this. When we present a Jesus that focuses more about being popular, about being fun, about what Jesus can give you in this life, instead of presenting him as the Son of God who came to deliver you eternally and before one day you're going to have to bow your knee and give an account to him, we're not giving the full Jesus. We're giving a popular Jesus that's not truly and ultimately the correct one and ultimately that kind of Jesus will not forgive your sin and will not save your soul. Let's not give in to only a popular Jesus. Let's embrace and worship the true one and then go and tell others about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the real Jesus. Yes, the one who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed from the devil, but ultimately the one who came to bless us by turning every one of us away from our sins, from our iniquities. 
And I pray that that Jesus would be real to us this morning. That each one here would not leave without receiving him as their Lord and Savior today.